welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 205, Turkey Dogging Seminar from the 2018 NWTF Convention. And I am your host and the guy who busted his rear end to get planning done this weekend. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a minute, but right now we are 163 days, 10 hours, 40 minutes, and 29 seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama. So this past weekend, I had one more work day to do at the hunting camp, the new hunting club, and I went and did that Saturday. We built some shooting houses, and then Sunday morning, I went and bush hogged my property in Chilton County, just south of Birmingham, and I couldn't but I couldn't finish what I had to do because I had to get back to Birmingham by noon for my niece's birthday party. So Monday morning, I loaded back up in the truck. I went down to the property, got everything disked, seeded, fertilized, and limed. And now I'll wait for rain. So listen, we're going to jump right into the meat of this week's episode. I have for you guys... The recording of the turkey dogging seminar from the 2018 NWTF convention and sports show in Nashville. And I'm playing that for you guys today. So we are right around the corner from fall turkey season starting for most of you guys. I know it has already started for some of you and that's exciting. So I want to cover another fall turkey hunting topic and that is turkey dogging. So here's the turkey dogging seminar from the 2018 NWTF Convention and Sports Show, and I will see you guys on the other side. I assume that most of you are either uh, avid turkey doggers or interested in turkey dogging or um, opposed to turkey dogging. <laughs> and uh, you're welcome as well, because we, I think all these guys here, um, you know, we do want to stress that the legends are the dogs and that we're fortunate enough to have dogs that do this and do what we love. So, um, to my immediate right, of course, is Marlon Watkins, uh, J.T. Byrne, who's the son of John Byrne, and uh, that guy over there is Scott Bayshore with the other microphone. They're all working. Yep. Thanks. Uh, so, you know, just to start out, how many people are having turkey daughters? From any of you. What category would you be in, Mr. Paul? <laughs> I like it. I tried it. 
Tried it, liked it. Uh, it's, yeah, it was yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah. And of course, the whole principle is to um, train a dog uh, that has uh, a strong prey drive and to put that dog into a situation where they're going to find turkeys and on finding turkeys, they're going to scatter that flock. Um, with the bird dogs, of course, they bark on the flush, bark on the scatter, bark on the break. And of course, you know, you hear wing beats and, and uh, putting as well if the flock is close enough, but then you set up and uh, attempt to call those birds back to the gun. Uh, so that's, that's the main principle. Um, there are many variations, many different breeds, and in JT's case, with his dad, uh, that was a, you know, the interest there, of course, was to breed a turkey dog with the intention and the high probability that it would do these things. So that's, that's really JT's and his dad's contribution to the uh, to the tradition of turkey dogging. Um, you know, I think when a lot of us became aware of it, I think it was 1983, Larry Mueller wrote the article for Outdoor Life, uh, and he had met with your dad. And um, so the word was out, you know, and, and for all of us, most of us here read that article, uh, became immediately interested in it. And uh, it's safe to say that in the coming years, uh, with JT and his dad partnering with uh, Pete Claire at Turkey Trot Acres that what we have now probably wouldn't exist because that was a situation where it, it was kind of a perfect deal where John Byrne, JT, the turkey dog line were put in a situation where those dogs would uh, get some attention, clients would uh, get interested in the sport of turkey dogging. Some of them, many of them went on to become turkey doggers uh, to own Byrne dogs. Uh, some of them went on to uh, continue with other lines, other breeds. Uh, but at the time, for some of you, pro you probably remember at the time, there were 11 states where it was legal uh, to hunt turkeys in the fall with dogs. And now we're pushing 30 all these years later. So, you know, it's safe to say that uh, the good things that have happened probably wouldn't have happened. You know, there might have been a different situation evolved where those, those positive things about turkey dogging and the tradition would have moved forward, but I don't know. I don't know that that would have been the case. I think it was a big part of it. There was a lot more. You got two. JT needs two, so. Um. <laughs> Go ahead, bud. But there was a lot of states that Dad would get calls from from people that were where they just couldn't wait until they got a fall season. They never had a fall season. They always had a spring season, and they were waiting for the population of their state to be big enough that they could have a fall season. And then it took off from there. When, when they got introduced to a fall season, or while they were getting the fall season, a lot of the states, people pushed to get a dog into that state. So, and it's not only our dogs. There's a lot of good dogs out there. There's a lot of friends of mine back home use uh, Spaniels, Britneys, um, and, and everything. So any dog that does what you want it to do is a good dog. Uh, it's just not our dogs. Uh, all of them. We, we didn't invent the dog, we invented our dogs. But there's still a lot of good dogs out there. So. And, and anytime that you can enjoy what you can enjoy with the dog and the birds and everything and put it together, I think it's a good dog. So go from there. Yeah. And, of course, some of you are probably very active in doing it, and that's an important part of it. I know that, you know, uh, everybody on this panel 
including myself, I was fortunate to be in a situation where I was uh, writing about it for Turkey Call magazine at the time, and Turkey and Turkey Hunting magazine, and a lot of the other magazines that would publish on turkey dogging. So I was the man in the middle. I was able to kind of get the word out. I did. It. I then began to do it myself uh, with my uh, English setters. I was fortunate to have several dogs that JT's dad would have described as renegade English setters. They ran big. Uh, they barked on the scatter, they did not hold point, and of course I was not disappointed in that. Uh, I love upland bird hunting with dogs that do point, but I also like turkey dogging with, you know, a pointing breed that actually scatters flocks. So, uh, but that was just a byproduct of hunting with JT, his dad, and Pete Claren, and eventually Marlon and Scott. So I kind of came at it from a little bit of a different direction, but it's directly related to what, what was evolving at the time. Now, just to back up a little bit, uh, for those of you who uh, appreciate and read turkey hunting literature, you'll know that the, the first three books uh, published, the uh, McElhenney Jordan book and the, uh, the two subsequent books, uh, the Simon Everett and the Henry Davis book, all include turkey dogging. So, um, you know, there's sort of two views uh, nowadays. Some people think it's a recent phenomenon and this is kind of a modern deal, but uh, turkey hunting literature has plenty of it either chapters or entire books, as in the case of the uh, Simon Everett book, the entire book is dedicated to it. It went, it went back into the early 1900s yeah. in the state of Virginia. Um, <clears throat> Virginia is kind of down along the coastal from, say, Appomattox East is very flat. And they had great big, huge white oak groves back then. And there were families that developed dogs, and they wouldn't let the dogs get out of the family. But that was what their dogs were for. If a family member wanted a dog, they got a pup. And if they nobody wanted any pups, they would um, put down all the pups that they didn't want. They wouldn't let them get out of the family. There was a family called Burris back then that had great dogs. And it evolved on from that. And then the region that we live in is all mountain. And Dad said that there had to be a better way than trying to get up there in the morning and listen to them come off roost and try to bust them up. So he had heard of dogs and he got a, a, a plot hound from a fellow that would bark on turkeys during the day and run coons at night. And that's how he got started with, with our line. But he had an English pointer that would um, flush birds and bark. And he would still point quail, but he wasn't as... After Dad got to turkey hunting, quail hunting wasn't as important to him as turkey hunting was, so it went from there. That's some more. It, it's not a new thing. It's, it, was, it was way back into the late 1800s, early 1900s that they were doing that. And the most important thing, you know, as we uh, just mentioned, is I think, as JT is saying, it wasn't new, but I think at the time with just 11 states, uh, legalized turkey dogging, it was probably in jeopardy of maybe passing on as a tradition. I mean, the Virginias were strong. Uh, all of us on, you know, here in front of you were active in sharing articles on turkey dogging or talking about it. Marlon was very active in Ohio and other states. All these guys were in the Northeast. Uh, I would send, you now when I started back in the 90s as a result of knowing these guys, I would hunt Vermont, where fall turkey dogging was described as a byproduct of fall upland bird hunting. So that just meant if you're springer or setter or 
German short-headed pointer lab would bust a flock and be able to hunt. But uh, New Hampshire was not legal. Maine was not legal. Uh, wasn't legal. So as a result of kind of sharing that information and talking to the people in the know, and there were some active people who enacted legislation to make it possible. Uh, during that period of time, between those 11 states and pushing 30 now, Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, New York, Pennsylvania, Ohio, uh, Kentucky, of course, is uh, it's now legal to turkey dog in 30 other states, you know, or almost 30. I think it's 29 last count. Some of those, it's actually legal to hunt with turkey dogs in the spring uh, by default, some of those states, but I'm not sure if any of us agree with that. Uh, it's a different deal in the spring, of course. So, um, but it is legal just as a by default, I think. I don't know if anybody practices it. None of us do. Uh, so, um, well, I guess the other interesting thing is <laughs> the development of getting it legalized is not difficult. Ohio, we worked for two years to get a fall season, and within two years, we had a dog season. Wisconsin, it was a little difficult because they decided to give them a, a temporary area that they could experiment with dogs, and nobody complained about it, so they finally legalized it. Pennsylvania, they tried, you know, Scott and a lot of them went and testified. They tried to do it through the division, and the division turned them down in the legislature. But it only takes a handful of people to work together to get it done. And, you know, you talk, I was born and raised in Pennsylvania, grew up turkey hunting there, and now live in, in Maine. Uh, you would talk to some of the powers that be at the Pennsylvania Game Commission, they would say, well, there's no tradition for fall turkey dogging in Pennsylvania. And then, of course, being a nosy writer, I'd say, well, what about, you know, you can use a 22 Hornet in the fall. They, and they come back. Well, it's legal. Rifle hunting in the fall is a is a legal tradition in Pennsylvania. So, which is absolutely true. I shot my first turkey with a 22 Hornet as a kid in Pennsylvania at 15. So, I mean, that was that's how far I've come um, <laughs> hunting those ridges. But um, you know, so to Marlon's point, everybody else's, uh, you sort of have to. We sort of have to be vigilant with it. Marlon made a point that it's, it was not that hard to enact legislation. The numbers of participation, I think this is part of the problem, or the challenge, is that the people who are all turkey doggers love it, are passionate about it, would prefer to do it over anything else. But the numbers aren't big, so if, if you look at the people, the powers that be, they may not feel that it's even necessary to legislate it because there just aren't big numbers. You know, it's, it's not uh, deer hunting legislation, for instance. It's not waterfowl hunting legislation. It's not spring turkey hunting legislation. So it's, it's, uh, it's uh, you know, we love it, those of us who do it. So, but you, you know, part of the vigilant part, it's kind of interesting being a, a writer who, sort of the man in the middle who writes about it. I will occasionally get people, I had a guy recently uh, send me a note from the state of Maine. He says, you know, fall turkey dogging in Maine is not legal. And I said, well, it's been legal since the fall of 2007. He said, no, I asked a warden. He said, it wasn't legal. And I said, well, if you go on the website right now, you see it's legal. If you look at your print regulations, it's legal. So, you know, not knocking the warden, but it's so, you know, on the edge, so much a sort of a subculture that the warden in the state of Maine did not know that turkey dogging was legal. So, and I'm not knocking them. I'm just saying it's that's just as an example to show that 
even the wardens might not know that. So, um, we were, go ahead. Yep. One, one of the reasons it's not hard to get legalized is for every hundred hunters that we gain, we lose 115. So states are scrambling. I mean, our sports and our, and our grandchildren you know, may not be able to hunt. And, you know, uh, in addition to that, you know, we're, we're kids or new people coming into fall turkey hunting as a tradition. It's a great way to introduce them. You've got the dog action. You've got the lively nature of a fall turkey hunt when, when birds are scattered. Uh, people who don't do it are a little confused about what is actually done, what does the dog do. And, um, you know, there are so many myths about fall turkey hunting, you'll have people say they don't call in the fall, they don't gobble in the fall, you can't call a fall gobbler in the fall, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and we all know differently. Those of us who do it, know it. Those of us who don't do it, you know. Don't, the, tell, they, don't tell too many people. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that's part, that's part of it, too. It, it, comes down to, it comes down to educating people. Uh, they'll say, you know, we don't like to kill young birds, so we don't hunt them in the fall. We don't have to kill a young bird. You can call them up. You can have a young person kill a young bird. Uh, it's perfectly legal to kill a young hen, but you don't have to. You can hunt fall gobblers, and a lot of us hunt fall gobblers and enjoy it. And, and uh, consider it a success just to have found a gobbler flock, to break the gobbler flock, to get the gobbler hammering and gobbling and gobbler yelping. Uh, I mean, that's that's the success of fall turkey, though. I mean, that's the fun part of it. Uh, I'm sure we like to kill them, but, uh, you know, the, the deal is... You and the dog, and the dog scattering the flock is really the success. I mean, that's that's where you. You you uh, touched on a really good point regarding children. It's a great way to get kids involved because man, kids love dogs, and most of the time, I know that the, 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 I've used the burn dogs, and uh, they are just loving. People love the dog, and it's a uh, you know. I've taken a lot of kids through the years and continue to take the same kids as they grow up and they just look forward to spending time. They always ask me and talk, how's Jenny doing or how's Maggie doing, you know, or Ellie. And, and uh, so it, it's, it developed a special relationship there too. With, uh, like I said, kids just love being out there with them and it, it kind of it's, it's boring or something's not happening, you know, they still want them, the dog will come back and check in and they'll pet on it and you just keep on going. So it's a great Great way to, and by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you also mentioned that the dogs being the legends. Now the gentleman to my left, I consider legends. My dogs, my dogs are the legends as far as I'm concerned. My Jenny, Mickey, Ellie, uh, you know, they're all very dear to me. And uh, they're the ones, I just simply am the handler. I'm just out there letting them do what, what uh, Mr. John and JT have Bred into these dogs, and I'm just fortunate to have them and uh, spend time with them. I think we need to move this a little bit different tone too. So where do you want to go? I think we need to talk and discuss on um, what the birds are doing now versus what the books said they used to do. Yeah. Oh, well, that's fascinating. You know, uh, <laughs> just from my point of view, and then we'll go to yours. As a writer, I grew up in Pennsylvania, and until the year 2000, there were more fall turkey hunters than spring turkey hunters. I grew up in a situation where they legalized spring in, the, in 1968. When my dad started, he was a fall turkey hunter, and he used to say, you know, it feels like 
I'm breaking the law out there, Steve. You know, uh, I first turkey hunted in the fall in 1971 and at age 12. And I was a fall turkey hunter. Uh, but then I started a spring turkey hunt. Uh, Pennsylvania has kind of come in a situation where I would say that Pennsylvania fall turkey hunters probably had an edge because fall was considered superior to spring. Spring was like that old adage that it was cheating. You saw this, you know, in Henry Davis's book, I mean, it was unfair in the spring to, to call on a gobbler, a lovesick gobbler. So, um, but the rest of the country is, is really, not the Virginias, not Pennsylvania, not some of these areas, not, you know, some of the other areas of the country, but there are all sorts of um, myths about fall turkey hunting and dogging. So when I was starting out running for turkey call, uh, Gene Smith, the great first editor of Turkey Call, he understood it. He was a fall turkey hunter. He was a turkey hunter, very passionate, great writer, editor. Uh, but some of the other magazines, when I'd start talking about scattering birds, you know, calling up gobblers, some of those editors were like, no, this is not what I've heard. This is not what I've read. Yeah, they, they were more in, in a lot of the states that started spring turkey hunting first. It was a sin to fall turkey hunt, where we started fall turkey hunt in Virginia, in the Virginias first, and then spring came later. Spring turkey hunting didn't come legal until like in the mid '50s back on. Yeah. But uh, you know, it's it's changed, and now you're seeing more of a push because more more people turkey hunt in the spring back home than they do in the fall. Yeah. But uh, the population. Will, will sustain both. There's room for both of us, yeah. and uh, we should keep going. But what I was wanting to allude to is back in the early days of writing about fall turkey hunting, the writers would all say, well, you could go out and flush a flock of turkeys, and within an hour, hour and a half, they would start calling. <laughs> well, Times change. Now oh, we got cell phones. Turkeys don't learn how to text. But uh, I'll sit there sometimes four, four and a half, five, five and a half hours, waiting for a flock of birds to come back. And between, I don't get out in the morning like I used to. I used to think if I wasn't in the woods by nine o'clock. The day was shot, we weren't going to do anything, you might as well not even go to the woods. Well, in the days that I could do that, there was three people on the farm. That was my father, my brother, and myself. And I would get up and feed my two herds of cows, and then I had the rest of the day off. I'd go do what I wanted in December. So they would take care of theirs, and we'd go on. But after losing my brother and my father, I'd got to stay there and take them until 10, 10, 30 sometimes to get the cows fed. Depending on where we're going to hunt, it might be an hour's drive time or fifteen minute drive time. So we're not getting the birds busted before they feed. So they're not as in, in a bigger hurry to get back together if they've got full crops. And you know, there's there's several other things. You've got the coyotes, as you said. And you've got more roaming house dogs. <coughs> the population sprawls out. And subdivisions come in. Everybody has a dog and they have an acre and a half of land and old rovers sitting on the front porch at 5.30 when they leave in the morning and at 5.30 when they get home in the evening, old rover's still sitting on the front porch. But where was the other ten and a half? <laughs> so, these birds get used to being busted and it 
takes them longer and it's time to get back together. And that was something I get I get questioned a lot. And even by a lot of the, the my friends that have dogs and hunt, well, how long are you sitting on these birds? And um, I'll say I stay there all day. If I've got a flock of birds busted, why am I going to leave busted birds to go look for another flock of birds? Let's just play this hand out and go from there. And then people tell me, well, I can't sit there. Uh, Mike Huntsville there, I was talking to him, and we were talking in the cold spell here in December. He says, how do you sit there for five and a half hours and it's 20 degrees or 30 degrees? Well, yeah. And I'll tell you a little secret I learned when I worked in Alaska for a while. There, in World War II, there was a sleeping bag made by, for the Germans called the German Sniper Sleeping Bag. It was a sleeping bag with sleepers for Arnold's well. And you can get them now through Sportsman's Guide. And they're a great thing. This German just brought a dog in right there. And... Uh, <coughs> She's just the right size for what I'm going to tell you can do it too. Um, you get that German sniper sleeping bag and you get that 20 degree day and you unzip that thing, you stuff the dog in the bottom and zip it up, you got an instant heater. <laughs> and we put our dogs in sacks or bags and, uh, <laughs> and it just, our dogs are predominantly white. My dog for years, and it helps with the camouflage of the dog, and it gives me some more control of the dog. And uh, even in the sleep sleeper bag, I'll put the dog in the bag because they'll get to squirming and warming. They get too hot, you can unzip it, open it up, and the dog gets some air, birds get power, and you can zip it back up and all that. But uh, that's just some points that I think we need to kind of get on. You know, just as a kind of a sidebar to that, JT's dad, John, of course, developed the original concept by going to JT's. Okay, that is all that I have for you guys for the free portion of this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you would like to hear the rest of the recording from the Turkey Dogging Seminar, then you will need to become a subscriber to the premium content of the Turkey Hunter podcast. And in order to become a subscriber to the premium content, what you need to do is text the word Turkey Hunter. Make that one word with no spaces. Text that to the number 44 Once you do that, I will respond with instructions on how you can get the link to become a subscriber to the premium content. So once you get that link to become a subscriber, all you need to do is create your username and password in the Podbean application, pay the $18 per year annual subscription fee, and at that point you'll be a subscriber to the premium content which will allow you to not only hear the rest of this week's episode, but the premium content for all of our previous episodes, as well as the premium content for the next 52 weeks. Okay, now my one favor for the week is this. Please forward and like the post for this week's episode on social media. That'd be a huge help for the show. And I'd be very appreciative of that. Now is the time of the week when I say to you, thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week 
and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.